Hello and welcome to Spurbs Herbs episode 21. I can't believe I've done 21 of these already. And today we're going to be talking about Su Tong or Si Wu Tong for substance decoction. This is definitely one of the classic formulas of Chinese medicine, super important in Chinese medicine. And so we're going to be getting into that. But of course, first we're going to do something a little different. But before we get into all that, let's talk about our sponsors. If you are an acupuncturist, this podcast, as well as others, are approved for California Acupuncture Board Continuing Education Units and National Certification Commission of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine Professional Development Activities at a reasonable cost. Check out www.integrativemedicinecouncil, that's council with C-O-U-N-C-I-L dot org for more information. I have also written a couple of books. First is Integrative Pharmacology, Combining Modern Pharmacology with Integrative Medicine. And that is quite a, a, a big textbook. And the other one is Playing the Game, a Step-by-Step Guide to Accepting Insurance as an Acupuncturist. I did that with my co-author, Tiffany Hefner. Both of these are available at the shop on www.spurbsherbs.com. So if either of those are interested, interesting to you, please check them out. All right, so today we have a lot to cover in not so long a uh, time. So I'm going I'm to go through this pretty quick. So, it, you know, I, I was so excited. I, I finally, I've been teasing it. I was excited to finally, after all these episodes, to do my deep dive into qi. You know, what is qi? That's something we talk about, something that's paramount to Chinese medicine. You know, we haven't really defined it and gone into it yet. So I'm, I'm really excited about getting into that. But before I started doing that, I thought I would take a few slides to discuss skeptics of the concept of qi. Then a few slides became more slides and a look at what is skepticism and that whole philosophy. And then down the rabbit hole I went. So instead of a deep dive on qi, we're going to have a discussion of skepticism. But don't worry, we'll get to qi. Maybe that will make a good topic on episode 25. That's only four episodes away. We'll see what happens. Might make a good uh, quartenary episode. So skeptics. Skeptics of qi believe that the belief of qi demonstrates the mystical, non-reasonable basis of Chinese medicine and therefore proves it is all nonsense. At its heart, I believe this position is very non-scientific. However, before we get into that, let's talk about what skepticism is. Skepticism basically says that one lacks knowledge. This can be local skepticism where one can can be skeptical about certain areas of knowledge. Or radical skepticism says one cannot know anything. We don't know anything in the universe. Another method, another breakdown can be from the method of skepticism. Descartes, of course, a very famous philosopher, named another branch Cartesian skepticism that says any proposed knowledge claim can be doubted. So it doesn't matter what you say, you can doubt it. Rather than focusing on doubting knowledge, Agrippin skepticism says that there is no way to justify knowledge in and of itself. So these are big philosophical approaches to this, um, which probably aren't going to be too helpful, but it gives us a little bit of a background on what skepticism is. And of course, this is just a two-cent overview of it. There's, I mean, there's whole semesters of skepticism and skeptical thought. So this is just the 
just scratching the very surface. There are some interesting thought experiments to demonstrate skepticism. One of those is called the brain in a vat hypothesis, which supposes that one might be a disembodied brain kept alive in a vat and fed false sensory signals. Since a brain in a vat would have no way of knowing that it was a brain in a vat, one cannot prove that it is not a brain in a vat. In other words, this, this hypothesis says we're all brains in vats and we just don't know it. Uh, the matrix hypothesis, which has become very popular, Elon Musk just uh, has proposed, you know, says he believes in this. The matrix hypothesis suggests that everyone or even the entire universe might be inside a computer simulation or virtual reality. In other words, we don't exist at all. We're part of a simulation. And my favorite is actually from Zhuangzi, who is a uh, very famous Chinese disciple of Laozi of Taoist uh, origins. And he had the dream argument states that reality is indistinguishable from a dream. He's very famously said, last night I dreamt I was a butterfly. Uh, this morning, I wasn't sure if I was a, 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 a butterfly dreaming I was a man. So very interesting quotes. That's the dream argument. So there's lots of these thought experiments that are all under the skepticism rubric. So scientific skepticism, also called rational skepticism, involves the application of skeptical philosophy, critical thinking skills, and knowledge of science and its methods to empirical claims. They believe that empirical investigation of reality leads to the most reliable knowledge. The use of the scientific method is best suited for determining and verifying results. And then there's this a subset of scientific skeptics that employ debunking to expose or discredit false claims. This is often applied to UFOs, paranormal, cryptozoology, things like um, Bigfoot and Yeti, and alternative medicine. An interesting aspect of this is that often phenomena that have been debunked stay popular. This is attributed to the human social need, be they psychological, cognitive, or instinctive. Maybe it could also be because they weren't truly debunked. So pseudo-skeptics come into play here. Scientific skepticism has its place, and I think it's very important as it strives to protect individuals from scams, harm, and danger. So I'm, I'm definitely not a, a fan. I definitely am a fan of scientific skepticism. The problem becomes when scientific skeptics become pseudo-skeptics or false skeptics. Wilson in 2008 describes this as the skeptic of the bogus variety cherry picks evidence on the basis of a pre-existing belief, seizing on data, however tenuous, that supports his position, and yet declaring himself skeptical of any evidence, however compelling, that undermines it. So in other words, they're, they're cherry picking, they're choosing what evidence to look at rather than looking at the whole of the evidence. So acupuncture and skeptics. James Randi, a magician, became an amazing debunker and offered a million dollars to any evidence of paranormal activity. After decades, no one has claimed this offer. They've now pulled it. He, he passed a few years ago, and they pulled that offer. But he used to set up you know, seances as a magician and everything. So this was part of his thing. And he said it was all just magic and, and crap, and he put his money where his mouth is, and no one claimed it. He founded one of the best-known skeptical foundations, the James Randi Educational Foundation. I love a lot of what they do, but they do have a lot of the pseudo-skepticism that we just mentioned. They have a whole lecture on acupuncture, which is absolute crap, 
So let's look at what it says. In this lecture, Hall states the following are not true, and, and I follow that up with my own comments. So one, it is not an ancient Chinese treatment method. Um, there are thousands of years of evidence saying it is. Hall states it may have originated in Greece. Who cares? Clearly, the Chinese and other Asian cultures refined it, and there is no clear evidence of Grecian use. So just a, a strange point to make anti-acupuncture. Um, I don't understand it at all. Um, number two, point number two, it does not involve sticking needles in acupoints. Hall states many acupuncture methods don't use needles. Again, who cares? Chinese medicine has many modalities in addition to acupuncture, which specifically refers to insertion of needles. So just because it doesn't always involve needles doesn't mean it's false. I mean, that's just really a strange point to make. Three, it's not widely used in China. Where is she getting this stuff? Of course it is widely used in China. Yes, its popularity waxes and wanes, but every hospital in China employs acupuncturists. It's very widespread. I don't, I don't understand where she gets this stuff. So where is she getting this knowledge from? Pseudoskepticism. She read something, found something, and glommed onto it, even if it's not true. So point number four, it does not work to relieve pain and nausea. And this is that pseudo-skeptical only seeing evidence they want to see. While we are still early in the evidence-gathering stage, there are many studies that show efficacy and many that do not. I think the preponderance of evidence is positive, but I readily concede a lot more evidence needs to be done. This is the true scientist's position. We do not know for sure and are investigating it. The pseudo-skeptic's position is to cherry-pick early or poorly constructed trials and draw a definitive conclusion before the evidence is anywhere near complete. So I, I think there's evidence to say that it relieves pain and nausea. I, it's an argumentable thing, but I don't think you can say it doesn't. Just I, It's just strange. It's cherry-picked. Point number five, it does not work for other conditions like infertility. And, I, and my point to this is pretty much the same as the last one. I think the evidence is fairly positive, but it's still early to draw any conclusions. So I'm okay um, that it might not work for infertility, but I wouldn't go so far as to say it doesn't work for infertility right now. Number six, it cannot be used for surgical anesthesia. I actually do agree. This, this one I totally agree with, but it isn't the fault of acupuncturists. The original story was by a journalist who did not write that the person was also given anesthetics. So this is where acupuncture became really popular in the West, was it showed someone getting brain surgery, and it was told that it was just using anesthesia from acupuncture points, and that's not the truth. They were actually using anesthesia, and then acupuncture was supplementing that anesthesia. So I, as an acupuncturist, would not feel comfortable having surgery with just acupuncture points. So I'm okay with this <laughs> as a point. I don't think it invalidates acupuncture in toto, just because this one point isn't true. Seven, it is not harmless. There are side effects. And again, I agree with this. There are side effects. I see bruising and bleeding, and I've read stories. I've been involved in cases, uh, you know, legal cases of, of punctures. I, I mean, it's, it's not harmless, so I agree with this. It pierces the skin, skin, and therefore there is potential harm, just like every other medical intervention. There is not a medical intervention that does not have harm or side effects. Risk versus benefit must be weighed. 
Having said this, almost all the harm I have seen in the literature has been from non-acupuncturists employing in acupuncture, and it is incredibly rare. Almost any medical intervention has higher rates of harm than acupuncture. So I agree, it's not harmless. There is a risk to it, but that risk is really small compared to almost any other medical intervention, in my opinion. And I can back that up with some science if you give me some time. So I, I'm a little bit concerned about this as a point as well. Eight, it has not been validated by scientific research. Again, I think there's a lot of positive evidence, though we are still in the early stages of research. I would add that most medical interventions have not been empirically researched either. When I was in medical school, the number I was given was only about 10% of medical interventions have been substantiated by research. That was a while ago, it's been 20 years, so I, about 20 years, so I'm sure a lot more has been, but still, even if a lot more has been, we're still nowhere near a majority of medical interventions have actually been empirically, scientifically researched. Basically, acupuncture skeptics are clearly in the realm of pseudo-skeptics. They're cherry-picking the evidence that they want to do. And they have a lot of pull, but man, they're angry. And, and when I look at the evidence they do, it's just like, it's like 20 years old. I'm like, wait, try looking at any of the 10,000 things that have happened since 20 years ago. So anyways. So science is based on the idea of what is possible and then through the use of scientific method and usually a slow stepwise process to build evidence to show the theory is probable. We cannot prove, we can only make things probable. I think the question here is about possibility. If something is impossible, we should not waste our resources pursuing scientific investigation. I might think that I can create tomatoes from my armpit, but there's no possible demonstration of that, and therefore no scientist should waste their time on such a ludicrous belief. There are several qualities that are important in the pursuit of science. The first of these is curiosity, followed by intelligence, reason, and I would say skepticism mixed with a sense of wonder in no particular order. This last is what I call being an open-minded skeptic. I, I am an open-minded skeptic. I am skeptical, but I'm open. I'm sure there are many other important attributes to this. This is my list. I'm sure there's some formal list that I, I didn't come across. Here's the thing. The best scientists see something interesting, different, that few others see, and then pursue the science of it. Skeptics, or actually pseudo-skeptics, see something interesting and different and jump to the conclusion that it is not possible and try to stop scientific inquiry. That is the key. They're stopping inquiry. They're not, they're not taking the inquiry that's already happened and applying it appropriately. They're saying there's no more inquiry should be done, and that's the problem. These are the people who are not scientific. And I find that most vocal, the, the most vocal of skeptics are in this category, especially of acupuncture. They harp on any little weakness of what they are examining and explode it up into a complete denial of the phenomenon. And then they solidify their position and diminish and castigate any new supportive evidence. So if something new comes out that is positive, they go, well, no, that's wrong. That can't be wrong. That can't be right. It's just ridiculous. As an acupuncturist, I see the evidence of what I do for individual patients. However, as a scientist, I do want scientific inquiry. There is a thought that something isn't shown to have cause and effect until we understand the mechanism of action of a particular phenomenon. 
we're piecing this together in acupuncture, but we do not have what I call the unified field theory of acupuncture. We don't know exactly how that happens. There was a new study that just came out this week that um, adds some evidence. It says there's some cells that are particularly, I, I still haven't read the whole thing, but I'm excited to read it. The bottom line is there's a lot more research to do, but there's more than a possibility of effectiveness of acupuncture. And scientists should be looking at the how, not offhandedly dismissing its effectiveness. And that is my little diatribe on skeptic. Let's get into our formula today. It's siwutong. English translation of this is four substance decoction, and that refers to the four herbs that are in here. Uh, so there are four ingredients. Wang Zijie, as translated in Shide, emphasizes et al. It emphasizes that it is the effect of the sum of the four herbs rather than the individual herbs themselves in this four substance decoction. He says, this formula is four similar substances that possess one nature and achieve one function. They move together without impeding each other. I just want to take a moment because often with, with Chinese formulas, we are doing things like using opposite herbs. So we'll do something that warms and something that cools. And the idea is the body can use whichever herb it needs to to regulate, or sometimes we do those opposites to protect it from overwarming or overcooling. And so they're, they're designed to be used in sort of opposite ways, regulatory ways. This formula isn't one of those. This is a very interesting formula. It is, um, you know, it's something that I call pushy formula. It goes... It pushes in one direction um, as opposed to letting the body kind of decide which way it wants to go. And it's very effective at that. And so that's what this is talking about. Other names for this formula include four component decoction, four herbs decoction, all very similar. Um, Donggui four combination. Uh, Donggui is one of the herbs in here. Romania decoction. So why would one call it Dongwei? Why would one call it Romania? And then um, that, by the way, is Disui Tang in Chinese. And another one is Major Chuangshang decoction, or Da Chuangshang Tang. And these are all three different herbs in this formula. So why wouldn't, why can't they even agree on which herb it should be called under? And that's an interesting one because, it, you know, there, there's some debate as to what are the chief herbs in this formula. And so that's why you might have different perspectives on this. And it's old, and it's widely used, and it's been researched and written about by a lot of Chinese practitioners. And so there's just a, a ton of information, different perspectives. So that's where some of this comes out of. This formula is in the tonified blood category of formulas, and that's really what it does. It tonifies blood. The traditional administration of this formula is to coarsely grind equal amounts of the herbs and take nine grams as a draft before a meal. So a draft is, you know, um, just suck it down and, and, uh, and mix it with, you can either mix it with some hot water is usually how a draft is done. You mix it with hot water and drink it. Um, so kind of as a, as a tea, but not steeped necessarily. So you can also take the, the ground herbs directly and, and wash it down. But today it's usually prepared as a decoction, which is a is a, a water is boiling a water extraction basically of the herbs. Shred et al. says the actions of this formula are to tonify the blood and regulate the liver. So the liver is important for blood, and regulation means moving the liver. You know, making sure that it's it's doing its job and moving properly. Chen and Chen says it nourishes the blood and regulates blood circulation, so it keeps it much more in the blood. 
And um, so we bo they both agree that it, it tonifies and nourishes the blood. And they both agree that it regulates, it moves. Um, Scheid is saying it moves the liver, regulates the liver, and, and Chen Chen says it regulates blood circulation. I, I, I think both of those can be true. Uh, the liver is in charge of moving movement and uh, of qi and blood, so it makes a little bit of sense. Um, I think Chen Chen keeps it in the realm of blood and is probably just a touch more in line with what I, I think is going on with this formula. So while tonifying the blood and nourishing the blood are the same, Regulating the liver and regulating blood circulation are not necessarily equivalent. They're, they're similar, but not equivalent. Regulating the liver refers mostly to moving the liver chi, and while that may in turn move blood, in and of itself does not. Regulating blood circulation implies the emphasis is on moving blood rather than on chi. So what are the Chinese medical indications for this? This formula has numerous indications, including dizziness, blurred vision, Whenever I should just say, whenever I'm giving a list like this, we're, 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 you know, these are the sort of the manifestations, but we still need to do the underlying Chinese medical diagnosis for these things. So it doesn't work on every case of dizziness. It works on cases of dizziness that are due to blood deficiency. So just keep that in mind as we go through these indications. So dizziness, blurred vision, insomnia, palpitations, which is awareness of your heartbeat, and especially many obstetric, gynecological, and menstrual complaints such as pain, dysmenorrhea, which is painful menses, amenorrhea, which is lack of menses, vaginal discharge, infertility, endometriosis, which is um, uterine tissues where it, where it shouldn't be and very painful, ectopic pregnancy, that's pregnancy outside of, of the uterus, uh, breech presentation where the, the baby is upside down before birth uh, or just not in proper position, and various postpartum conditions. Chen Chen say it is useful for general blood deficiency, deficiency and injury of the Chong and Ren channels in gestational and postpartum disorder. So we haven't talked about the Chen, Chong and the Ren channels. At some point, we will. Those are both considered part of the eight extra meridians. So we have 12 meridians that are on each, uh, well, on each side that are paired with, with organs in, in, the, in, the, in the body. And then we have eight extra meridians. The Ren meridian um, actually is on the front, the center line of the front, and the Chong is is called the, is translated often as the penetrating vessel, um, and that's a very different thing, very much involved with menstruation and pregnancy and things along those lines. At some point, we'll get into the eight extras and talk about them. So according to Scheid, this formula was first mentioned in secret formulas to manage trauma and reconnect fractures from an immortal, written in 846 CE. However, Chen Chen says it was first mentioned in the Imperial Grace Formulary of the Taiping area, or the Taiping Hui Min He Ji Ju Fang, in 1078 to 85 C. So, you, so, you know, almost 330 years later um, than what Scheid says. What's interesting is Scheid actually refers to the the this book that Chen Chen says and says that was actually when it was it, it kind of refined the use of this formula. So it's it's interesting that they. Um, you know some of this uh, and the differences are usually they're pretty on track with each other but sometimes there's a discrepancy and I think there's some interesting aspects I'm looking at the discrepancy and, and also remember they were written six years apart so research on the history of this stuff has occurred and so that that might be why there's a little bit there may be some more clarity and shy sometimes than Chen Chen so it has as we mentioned four ingredients the first one is Raymania radix preparata or Shu Di Wang 
And this should have, um, in a decoction, it should be 9 to 12 grams uh, dosing. And this formula is, I mean, this herb is in the herbs that tonify the blood category. What we're going to find is three of these four herbs are going to be actually in this category, the herbs that tonify the blood category. Chen Chen state that this is the chief herb. While Scheid says the hierarchy of the herbs changed based on the pattern treated, though they, they do kind of land on Romania or Dongwei, which we're going to talk about next, I believe, um, is as um, usually as chief herbs, but not always. You know, they, it depends on what you're trying to do. Um, it tonifies the blood, nourishes the yin, and tonifies the essence, according to Vensky et al., 2004. Second herb is peony radix alba, or bai shao, uh, 9 to 12 grams again. And again, as I mentioned, this is uh, one of the herbs that's in the tonify the blood category. Um, bai shao is very important. These are all very important herbs, all of them. Nourishes the blood, regulates menses, calms and curbs liver, liver yang, preserves yin, adjusts the nutritive and protective levels. So this is the yin and the wei levels. Um, we'll get into levels at some point. Don't get, if you're not into it, if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. And alleviates pain. Baishao is very good at alleviating pain. Angelica sinensis radix dongue, which is, again, very important herb, 9 to 12 grams. And again, this is in the herbs that tonify the blood category. Vensky et al. says it nourishes the blood, but its spicy and warm nature focuses the formula on moving the chi and blood, and not merely nourishing the yin. It also disperses cold, invigorates and harmonizes the blood, regulates menses, treats cough, and moistens the intestines and unblocks the bowels. So this is considered a moist, moistening herb. So finally, our fourth herb is Chuangshang rhizoma, Chuangshang. And this should be used at three to six grams in a, in a decoction. And this is the herb that's different than the others. This, is the, this herb is in the herbs that invigorate the blood category, which means moving the blood. So rather than building blood, this is more about moving blood. Bensky says this herb invigorates the blood, promotes the movement of chi, expels pain, expels wind, excuse me, and alleviates, alleviates pain. So again, very useful herb. All of the herbs in this formula enter the blood, but they are divided into two groups. This is commentary on this. The first group are the blood and the blood herbs that are entirely yin in nature. So blood is considered yin in nature and part of, a, if you look on a, on a, on a, um, uh, uh, on sort of a scale of things, you, if, if you look on a scale, we have on one side, we have blood, and as that gets worse and worse, it goes to yin, or yin encourages blood, but they're connected, and then qi and, and, and yang are connected on the other side of it. So this, is, um, so this is blood in the blood herbs that are entirely yin in nature and only nourish the blood. These two include Romania radix preparata, shudi huang, which nourishes the, nourishes the yin of the blood, and Peony radix alba baishao tonifies the blood and preserves the, lin, the yin. Because these two herbs are rich, cloying, and astringent in nature, there's a risk that their use will lead to blood stasis. Anything that's rich in cloying stops things. So anything too tonifying generally will clog things up, according to Chinese medicine. 
This is preve prevented, though, by the second group of herbs treating the chi in the blood. Angelica sinensis radix dongue tonifies and invigorates the blood. Uh, translated by Shai et al., the collected treatise of Zhang Jingyue says, it moves as it tonifies and it tonifies as it moves. It, is truly, it truly is the chi herb within the blood. There's movement there. And, th and remember, that is part of the herbs that tonify blood category. Now we have Chuanshan, which is herbs that invigorate the blood. So Chuanshan rhizoma, Chuanshan nourishes the blood and promotes the movement of qi. And the quote here is by Shayad as well. Facilitating the flow of blood through the vessels and collaterals, it releases constraint, opens knotting, and alleviates pain. So it's moving. So what's, what we have are two herbs that are very tonifying to, to blood, and we have um, two herbs that tonify blood, but more move the blood. So that too much tonification isn't going to make the blood stagnate and stop, and that's the important part here. Overall, the formula thus regulates the blood by providing both tonification and movement. So continuing with the commentary, this formula is a variation of acid gelatin and mugwort decoction, or jiao ai tang, from Essentials from the Golden Cabinet. So Essentials from the Golden Cabinet is, along with Shanghan Lung, they were all one book. Uh, Shanghan Lung is on, on, um, on uh, cold damage. These were actually one book together, written by Zhang Zhang Jing, and they are considered, at this point, they're the oldest existing formula books around. So this means it goes, this, form, this formula, acid gelatin and, and mugwort decoction, goes all the way back to the very first herbal formulas. And you're seeing acid gelatin, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about donkey glue is basically what we're talking about, and that's considered a very strong blood tonic. Using this formula for gynecological disorders was first mentioned in the formulary of the pharmacy service for benefiting the people in the Taiping era. So that's what Chen Chen was referring to as the first mention of the, the Siwutong formula, um, but uh, Scheid says it actually was mentioned earlier than that. Patterns of blood deficiency for this formula will invariably show signs of dryness because essence is lacking. A common way to modify the formula consists of varying the relative dosage of the ingredients. So depending on what you emphasize, you can modify how the formula actually works. Some authors use Romania Radix Sheng Di Wang instead of Romania Radix Preparata or Shu Di Huang. Uh, so Sheng Di Wang tends to be a little bit cooler than the Shu Di Wang. And sometimes they use uh, and or they will substitute Peony Radix Rubra or Chershao instead of peony redix alba or bishao. So that's red versus white peony. The red peony is a little bit more drying than the, the white is uh, and a little bit more moving. So it kind of depends. These, I mean, like I said, this, this formula has been around for at least 1,200 years at this point and uh, very, very popular. So lots of variations have happened, lots of thoughts on this stuff. So just different ways that this formula can be used. So the Qing dynasty physician Zhang Lu, in discussing the remainders of the discussion of coal damage, says, according to Scheid, this is translated by Scheid, four substance decoction is a special formula for treating patterns where the yin blood has become ill. It is, however, not a formula for regulating and tonifying the true yin. 
Hence, when a considerable number of formularies state that the four-substance decoction tonifies the yin, this is interpreted by later generations of physicians as licensing the treatment of yin deficiency manifesting with heat, the upflaring of fire with bleeding, and similar patterns, then this is ignorant practice whose harm continues to the present day. With regard to its specific usage in gynecology, it is common practice to casually add herbs that treat wind, food stagnation, phlegm, or chi, so that today use of the original four substance decoction has become all confused and disorderly. Among all of these later physicians who would like their modifications to become accepted standards, there are hardly any worth using. So um, this, this gentleman clearly is on the things. Let's not modify it too much. <laughs> so that's um, Zhang Lu. Chen Chen, still in the commentary, Chen Chen says this condition can be caused by chronic illness, vacuity, excessive sexual activity, and excessive consumption of aromatic herbs. They also explain why Chai Hu, Bucleri Radix, and Jir Shur, Aranti Fructus Immaturus, both commonly used for liver cheek constraint, are not used in this formula. Both are drying herbs that would further damage the yin in these cases. Chen Chen discusses this formula in terms of the four seasons, genesis or spring, growth or summer, harvest autumn, and storing winter. Each of the herbs in this formula are then associated with one of the seasons, Donggui with spring, Kuangshang with summer, Bai Xiao with autumn, and Xu Di Huang with winter. Modifications, lots of modifications are possible according to the text. We just wrote, read from uh, Zhang Lu. Adding Artemisia argifolium, Aya, and Asini Kore Kola, or Jiao, that's that acide glue that we were talking about earlier, treats restless fetus disorder with continual vaginal bleeding. So I'm going to be honest with you if there's continual, continual vaginal bleeding, maybe you should go to the hospital and, and have it looked at. But if that doesn't do anything, then we can treat it with some herbs. Substituting Romania radix or Shen Di Huang, fresh uh, Romania, for Romania radix preparata or Shu Di Huang, uh, and add Scutellaria radix, Huang Qin, and Mutang Cortex, Mudan Pi for signs of heat. So all those herbs that are being in there are herbs that help dis dissipate heat. So Shen Di Huang is going to be um, cooler than Shu Di Huang. Huang Qin is one of the three yellows, which is very good at for, for cooling um, heat and damp heat especially. And the Mouton Cortex Mouton P is, is specifically very good for cooling the blood. So all of that would be very helpful. Substitute Peony Radix Rubra Churchow for Peony Radix Alba Baishow and add Persica Semen Dalren, the, that is um, Peach Pit, and Carthami Floss Honghua or, or um, um, Safflower to treat a predominance of blood stasis. So both... Um, Honghua and Daoren are very moving for the blood. As I mentioned, Chir Shao is a little bit more moving than Bai Shao is, so this would all be very much moving. If there's still some deficiency of blood, but there's more of a stasis of blood, it's not moving properly. You can add Ginseng Radix, Ren Shen, and Astragali Radix, Huang Qi to treat Qi deficiency. Both of those are very strong Qi tonifiers. You can add Cinnamomy Cortex, Rogue 
and Avodia fructus wujuyu for blood deficiency with internal cold. And yes, rogue which is cinnamon, that is cinnamon, uh, like the, the cinnamon cortex. So it's it's like the the uh, the herb, the med- the uh, the kitchen herb, um, is very warming according to Chinese medicine. And avodia fructus is is actually another kitchen herb. Um, I'm totally blank, and I can picture it. I'm trying to blank, you know, what the it'll it'll come to me. It's um, used a lot in in uh, Indian cooking and that is very warming as well fructus avodia avodia fructus is um i'm totally blanking on it it's it's not star anise um god it's uh, oh oh clove it's clove there we go i knew it get it clove. i'm getting old what can i say other formulas uh the, the one i don't mention here that i always like to mention is um bajintang um, which is a combination of siwutong and and um, uh, sejun sitong, or the four gentlemen decoction, which is sort of the classic chi building formula. So with bajintang, you have the blood building of the siwutong and the chi building of sejun sitong, and together they're very strong for building chi and blood. So that's a, a common formula that I will use, uh, especially gynecologically. So that's a good other formula. We're going to talk about two other formulas right now. Donggui decoction to tonify the blood, or Donggui Bushui Tong, Bushui Tong, and restore the spleen decoction, Gui Fi Tong, along with Siwu Tong, are all used to tonify the blood and treat heavy menstruation or blood deficiency resulting from heavy menstruation. Both Donggui decoction to tonify the blood and restore the spleen decoction do this by tonifying the qi in order to tonify the blood. In other words, they improve the assimilation functions of the spleen and stomach in order to facilitate the production of blood. So this is, again, very classic and deep Chinese theory, which is that we actually, when we eat, the spleen and stomach separate. And when we say spleen, we probably mean spleen and pancreas because um, spleen in and of itself doesn't have any digestive functions. But, uh, you know, I I can get into this at some point, but... um, I believe when the Chinese say spleen, I mean the, the complex of spleen and pancreas. The pancreas sits right underneath the spleen, uh, and, the, and the Chinese actually talk about the, the tail of the spleen, which the spleen is, doesn't have a tail, but the pancreas would uh, in anatomy. So uh, pancreas, uh, so spleen and stomach is what is digestive, and so when we eat food, we break it down so that we can actually use it to, to build qi and, and, uh, and blood, and that's what they're talking about here, that we, d- we use qi, that it comes from our food to help build blood, to make blood, according to Chinese medicine. Which sounds a little bit esoteric, but if you think about, you know, we build blood from what we eat, and that's all we're really talking about. We're just putting a little bit of a different spin on it. Donggui decoction to tonify the blood is used for acute blood loss, while restore the spleen decoction is better for chronic conditions accompanied by signs of spleen vacuity. So those two are looking at the spleen stomach and its function in building the blood, one acutely, one chronically. For substance decoction, focuses on the liver and on the governing and conception vessels. It aims to tonify the blood in its role as an essence rather than the functions that produce and manage it. That's a quote, again, from Scheid. It's a little bit different than the others uh, sort of things. So if you do have spleen vacuity, spleen chi deficiency, then restore the spleen decoction is a, a fantastic formula. The guayfitang is a fantastic formula. 
And if you have acute blood loss, well, depending on how bad it is, you might want to go to the emergency room. But after that, using Dongwe decoction to tonify the blood might be a very good choice. Uh, while for substance decoction can still fit in there as a, as a possible choice, depending on what's going on. Biomedical indications. So primarily used in conditions related to obstetrics and gynecology, such as irregular menstruation, primary dysmenorrhea, so that's painful menstruation, uh, painful menstruation, irregular menstruation, threatened miscarriage, postpartum weakness, and insufficient lactation. So this can be used in that case. Additionally, they state it can be used for anemia of various etiologies, urticaria, which is hives, so an allergic reaction, plantar warts, so that's, those are warts on the, on the bottom of your foot, or on your foot, allergic purpura, so this is allergies causing little purple spots, and neurogenic headaches, so a headache that comes from nerve issues, so migraines are generally in the, in the category of neurogenic headaches. Chen Chen adds that this formula is hematopoietic, which means it helps build blood. Okay, well, that's the function of the formula. Antiplatelet, so it actually helps move blood. So platelets are what are used for clotting, and when we have a cut or when, it, uh, when we have it, and when we do antiplatelets, it means we, we often say they're blood movers. That's a really bad characterization of antiplatelets. But what it does mean is it doesn't clot as easily. It's radioprotective, so if someone's having uh, radiotherapy, uh, which is radiation therapy, then it can help um, protect against some of the negative effects of it. It aids cognition, thought processes. It is an antioxidant. It aids the cardiovascular system. It's antipyretic, which means that it's, it helps itching. It's anti-inflammatory, so it helps, the it helps prevent inflammation. And anti-tumor, so it could be used for cancers and other things that might be tumor-forming. So let's talk about the science behind this. Like I said, this is a very popular formula, and there were quite a few animal bench and small clinical studies of this formula, even larger clinical studies of this formula. Um, part of the issue was a lot of them had uh, modifications, so they weren't pure suutang. Uh, and, and generally when, when there's a lot of those kind of studies, I start going, okay, well, where are the systematic reviews of these studies? So that systematic reviews, remember, are much stronger evidence than any individual study. So I looked for systematic reviews in this, and, and I only found really one, but it was a common modification of this formula, but not the formula itself. I didn't find any that were the formula specifically. Um, and just, you know, so you know a little bit about how I do that, I, I, I will look specifically at the Cochrane database of systematic reviews, which is a, a really useful tool um, that has a very clarified and, and specific way to do systematic reviews, which is, is very strong and very well respected. And I also do a Google Scholar search, which may not be as respected as some other types of, of searches, but it's easy for me to do and gives me lots of information. I usually go quite deep into that looking for systematic reviews. And th th that was my search terms was systematic review, Si Wutong. Um, so I might have missed something there, but I didn't see anything major. Um, the studies were, were all quite positive, though I didn't get quite deep into them at this point. So because I was looking for those systematic reviews, that's generally the evidence I look for. Chen Chen, uh, in their book, uh, 2009, lists several 
human trials showing positive results in the following conditions, though most of these are from older Chinese studies, difficult to obtain. So I wasn't able to look into them, and they were individual studies, but they're all here in one presentation. I kind of liked it. I do, I list them, like for example, the first one here is menstrual pain, and then I say N equals 57 behind that, so that means the number of subjects was 57. Again, remember anything above um, about 30 to 40 subjects are what we need to be statistically valid and be able to apply statistics to a uh, set of results. So we want it to be over 30 to 40, and the higher they go, the better they go. So, you know, modern day, you're looking for a really strong study, you're talking many hundreds or even thousands of, of subjects on a strong study. Uh, so most of these are considered pretty small. Some of them are, are in the hundreds, not bad, um, but it's, it's important. It's not the only factor to judge uh, a study on, and by no means, but it's a good initial factor to look at is how many subjects a, uh, a study has. So uh, helpful in menstrual pain uh, sub with 57 subjects, uh, helpful for regular menstruation, 180 subjects, Helpful for breach presentation, 80 subjects. Endometriosis, 51 subjects. Infertility, only 27 subjects. So that's that would not be considered statistically valid. Pelvic inflammatory disease, 89 subjects. Uh, insomnia, only 10 subjects. So I wouldn't be including a whole bunch there. Chronic nephritis, only two subjects. This was actually a case study, not a clinical study. Um, so it only talked about two, chronic nephritis, nephritis is, is a kidney infection, not necessarily what we'd first consider for this formula, so makes sense. Lumbago or low back pain, 135 subjects. Lum uh, sciatica, uh, which is uh, pain with the scientific nerve, a pinch of the sci uh, sciatica nerve in the, in the low back, and the subjects were 112. Periarthritis of the shoulder, so that's arthritis around the shoulder. Uh, 215, so a lot of subjects on that one, which is not something I would think of as being a top thing to look at for this formula, so that that's interesting. And the neurogenic headaches, there were actually two studies that they mentioned, one with 44 subjects and one with 24 subjects, so those were both like barely, uh, you know, the first one was, you know, just a little bit above scientifically valid, and the second one was not. I'd love to see more, you know, we can join those two in a systematic review and uh, look at what else is going on. Again, these are from Chen and Chen. They tend to be Chinese studies and not very easy to to see in, in uh, English, uh, but it, it gives us some, I, I would be very skeptical. They're older too, like some of these were from the 80s. So I'd be very skeptical with these results, but at least they're pointing in a direction for maybe further research. So drug, let's talk a little bit about drug-herb interaction. Several herbs are at increased risk of drug-herb interactions. Again, these are very commonly used herbs in Chinese medicine, very powerful herbs in Chinese medicine. So there tends to be a lot more research on them. So we, we do pull out some of these interactions more than we might with some of our more obscure herbs. Uh, and so Dongwe inhibits Cytochrome P451A2 and 3A4. Um, so cytochrome P450 is a target of drug-herb interactions, and 3A4 is the most common one. So the fact that it inhibits 3A4 is significant. About 60% of drugs will use cytochrome P450, 3A4 uh, for uh, some form of metabolism as it goes through the body. So that is an issue. 
Uh, it also inhibits peak glycoprotein, which is another target of, of drug-herb interactions. Um, not as well established as cytochrome P450, but still quite important. And so we need to keep in mind that. So there's quite a bit of potential interactions here. It also has numerous D-level or lowest level evidence against its use with anticoagulants and antiplatelet medications, which is backed up by one case study, which a uh, case study, level D evidence is not in humans, may or may not have a, a bearing on humans. Level C is case studies is a small, is, is um, at least in, in a clinical uh, study, you know, it's a human study but very small, very, you know, not necessarily indicative of a bioarchum. So there's, there's all this, these potential issues around anticoagulant and antiplatelet medications, but nothing super well established. There's also some concern about phytoestrogenic effects with Dongwe, though this is not currently supported by the level B evidence that I've looked at. So um, a lot of people are worried that Dongwe will um, have estrogenic effects, uh, effects like estrogen, basically. Uh, the, the research that I've seen does not support that. I've done a, a paper on it. I'm not a huge fan of this and phytoestrogenic effects. But that doesn't stop people from still thinking that it's there. Shu Di Wang uh, induces cytochrome P453. So this induces it while Dong Wei inhibits it. So the question becomes is do they do opposite things and, and um, does that basically wipe out in the formula a big effect on 3A4? I don't know. Uh, possible. Additionally, a level B study showed increased adverse effects when combining several individual herbs, including Shendiwang, with the antipsychotics clozapine, quetiapine, uh, and olanzapine. So, you know, be uh, careful with antipsychotics and Shendiwang. So, Bai Shao also has numerous D-level evidence against its use with anticoagulants, antiplatelet, and antiglycemic medications, so anti-diabetic medications. It may increase the set of effects of drugs. Again, all that evidence is very low evidence. I take it into account, but I wouldn't think of it very strongly. And Chuang has the similar D-level evidence about anticoagulant and antiplatelet medications. So the, the, the bottom line here with the, the drug-herb interactions is that we should be a little bit cautious when combining Tsiwutong with antiplatelet and anticoagulant drugs. Um, which, you know, at first you might think, well, how often is that going to occur? But a lot of the people who are on those drugs would be kind of, could potentially be considered blood deficient in a, in a Chinese perspective. So we do want to keep this in mind as we're, we're going forward uh, with some of these drug interactions. Again, it's low-level evidence, but it's kind of consistent between all of, this, of the substances here. Um, and uh, a lot of the anticoagulants, uh, the, the big anticoagulant is warfarin, which has a lot of drug-herb interaction potential, and so I wouldn't be combining herbs with that anyways. So, um, so anyways, yeah, to be a bit cautious, the anticoagulant and antiplatelet medications tend to have uh, more potential drug-herb interactions than other drugs. So that alone might prevent drugs, and the fact that these herbs might have some effects along those lines is even stronger, like let's not combine them. So what are some concerns about this formula? This formula should not be used in treating acute, severe blood loss or other problems of blood deficiency characterized by severe weakness and labored breathing. Due to the cloying nature of its main ingredients, the formula is inappropriate for treating patterns characterized by an overabundance of dampness. Dampness, again, is a very technical Chinese term. 
uh, with abdominal fullness, so an overabundance of dampness with abdominal fullness, poor appetite, and loose stools. In, in other words, I mean, we can kind of characterize this, you know, in lay terms, like these are difficult to digest. So if you're not able to digest food well, then don't take these or this formula. And that's basically what we're talking about without all the, the technical uh, language around it. Chen Chen add a couple more cautions. Because of the stagnating nature of Shu Di Wang, this formula should be used with caution in patients with vacuity of the spleen and stomach. So that's very similar, just kind of different wording of what we just said from Shide. This formula is not suitable for patients with blood or chi collapse. So, you know, what we're talking about here is blood vacuity or deficiency. Um, collapse is a very strong uh, term in Chinese medicine, and that means, you know, the body is close to dying when the blood or the chi collapses. And basically what they're saying is there's not even enough you know, oomph in the body at that point to assimilate these herbs and they're just not going to be effective. They're going to be too cloying and can actually contribute to more of the collapse. So you don't want to do that, uh, take those in that situation. And it should be used cautiously during pregnancy. So remember a lot of these things were, were right around the obstetric and gynecological aspects of it. So it's not saying you can't use it during pregnancy. You just want to make sure you're doing it well that the diagnosis is correct, and that you're monitoring, monitoring it very closely during pregnancy. So it's not a contraindication, it's just a caution. And so you definitely want to keep that in mind in that patient population. All right, and that's it. We've covered it all. Thank you very much. Appreciate you hanging in there. Uh, just a few things here. If you wouldn't mind, when you buy from Amazon, please use the banner ad on our homepage. We get a few pennies. Uh, I haven't seen anything in months. So um, if you go to spurbsherbs.com, you'll see the, the banner ad there. And uh, hopefully that will help me continue to do this going into the future. If you did like this podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating in your favorite podcast app. We would appreciate it. And thank you very much for for considering that. That helps us get ahead and uh, have other people discover this. So appreciate it if you would do that. And as always, you can get in touch with me at drgreg at spurbsherbs.com. So that's uh, D-R-G-R-E-G at S-P-E-R-B-S-H-E-R-B-S.com or at our website, www.spurbsherbs.com. And as always, we have an extensive bibliography, which I am going to update because I realized a few things were missing as we were going through the, through the thing. And that's it. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Spurs Herbs. The proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle, Timothy, Tom, Nick, Dobbins, Roger Campbell. Campbell. 